writers have, have always been influencers. Um, I guess the difference now is that this sort of notoriety happens in real time and on a global scale on the internet. It's really a, a good example of how the internet kind of amplifies what was already happening in the world offline um, and kind of gives it new life. Hello and welcome to Freelance Pod. My name's Sachandrika and I'll be your host. There's some exciting news for the podcast this week. It reached 10,000 downloads, and that is about 20 months after I launched it back in November 2018. So that's really exciting to me. It's the first time I've made a podcast entirely on my own, apart from obviously my fantastic guests. And, you know, I launched it six months into my freelancing career um, without really knowing how I was going to get it out there and, and get listeners. So um, it is really exciting to have hit this milestone. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting the podcast out there even more. Um, If you're a listener who loves this podcast, then please do let other people know. Rate, review and subscribe. Get the word out there because the bigger the audience, the more able I am to carry on making this podcast. So um, yeah, really exciting achievement. And let's see what we can do next and then there's one other announcement i'm going to be running a uh, zoom workshop on uh, using personal essays to break into new publications and niches so that's going to take place on tuesday the 4th of august from 6 30 to 8 p.m british summertime so if you fancy coming along to that there are three tickets left and there are in fact two discount codes left because some people haven't been using them when they buy their tickets. I will pop the discount code in another edition of the newsletter at some point before the workshop. So if you subscribe over at sachandrika.substack.com, then you will receive a newsletter. So I suggest you sign up for the newsletter. Now on to uh, this episode's guests. It's uh, writer, speaker and thinker about the future of work, Lauren Rosavi. So Lauren has been a digital nomad. She's worked for Google, The Guardian, talk about all of these things. And also Lauren touches on what writers can do to amplify their work, how the writer can leverage the influencer's tools to help their career. So uh, let's hear what she has to say. I've always been um, an internet person first and a writer second, um, which is sort of an idea I think I'll probably end up talking about more um, in our conversation today. But for me, um, I've always wanted to make stuff. So I really started to pick up on this as a trend when I realized that more and more journalists were actually beginning to make that transition from the title of journalist, maybe from a traditional media publication um, or even freelance for traditional media publications and starting to view themselves a bit more as online content creators. I think when you begin to think about your role a bit differently like that, something really interesting happens because you kind of like notice all these different opportunities and tools and platforms that you can take advantage of um, and kind of like uh, share your ideas and your passion and your energy in different ways. So that's something that I um, I suppose I picked up on a couple of years ago and I've just kind of been uh, tracking a little bit. Um, and then on top of that, I've started to implement some of those 
principles in my own career uh, much more actively um, and to talk about it in the freelance community because I think it's a really important moment where we need to think of ourselves a bit differently in terms of how we want to build careers but not only careers I think lives too you know I think work is such a big part of life um, that there's a lot of kind of thinking to do there to, to find your own path. Um, if I can recommend a, a resource for anyone who's looking for like a, a visualization or, or a bit of an in-depth um, look at what's possible as like an online content creator now, um, there's a fantastic blog post by a guy called Tiago Forte. And the blog post is called The Rise of the Full Stack Freelancer. And he's got a great kind of visual um, which uh, sets out all these different tools and how he uses them in his business. Um, he's primarily like an online learning influencer. So he releases his own short courses um, on uh, things like, I think he has one called um, Building a Second Brain, so kind of productivity and stuff. But what he actually does uh is really, really interesting. It encompasses so many different types of media, so many different digital tools um, to formulate like what's a very distinctive, unique business uh, that actually nobody could do quite like him. Um, and I, I, I see that in a, in a lot of writers now, um, in particular, who are making that transition and beginning to, I guess, self-define differently. Are you familiar with the, the documentary filmmaker, Andy Timina? So um, Ondi Timna, uh, I believe like her best known work is a, a documentary she did on Russell Brand. Um, I forget what it was called, but it was quite a big deal at the time. Um, but she's fantastic. And back in 2009, she made a film called We Live in Public. Um, and it explores the, the idea of like the loss of privacy in the Internet age. I think that idea that we, we sort of all live in public now in, in the Internet era that we're in uh, is quite an important one because you know, we have to be realistic about what the internet has done to us as individuals and, and what it's done to the world. Um, I think as writers, we have to think about the why behind what we create. And if we know the answer, then influence should really be a useful tool for our wider mission, rather than something to, to kind of shy away from or, or the kind of dreaded admin task that you have to do at the end of the day. So I think I've got quite a knack for uh, discovering kind of weird and wonderful creators that perhaps aren't that well known, but are really ahead of the curve. So Andi Timner for me was one of those. I think a lot of people heard about her work through this Russell Brand documentary that I mentioned. Um, but I was kind of ahead of the curve because I'm such a geek. Like I'm so fascinated by all of this stuff, you know, like how human behavior changes in response to technology. And she was so far ahead of the curve in 2009, like 11 years ago now. I've been really surprised um, at the resilience of digital nomads as a community um, at this weird and wonderful time uh, in, in history we find ourselves in, um, because there's a, a huge determination um, from pretty much everybody I've spoken to to continue traveling and, and working uh, rather than to kind of respond to this with like, uh, I suppose, a feeling of uh, global volatility uh, causing people to settle down. Um, and, you know, I think over, certainly in the time that I've been doing this, like I've been a digital nomad for about six years now, um, splitting, splitting my time 50% in the UK, 50% elsewhere. 
you know, I think that more and more people are, are kind of making this transition and living like this, especially if they're creative freelancers, especially if they want to kind of make stuff for a living rather than take a, a traditional job route. But actually the brand of Digital Nomad, um, I think has been tarnished a bit by the Instagram crowd. Some of the most interesting Digital Nomads I know, I don't even hear referring to that language anymore, which I think is kind of interesting. Um, but I think in response to COVID, we're probably going to see um, more slow travel. So where nomads would uh, sort of in the past typically spend four to six weeks in a destination, I think we're going to see more people basing somewhere for three to six months um, and perhaps officially like registering and uh, sort of going a bit more local in the place that they're in, really kind of sinking in. This relates to some sort of um, fast moving visa policy stuff that's going on, um, which is uh, something I'm very geek on. Um, so Estonia uh, recently became the first country in the world to launch an official like digital nomad visa, which basically means that there's now a government that fully approves of this way of living your life and is encouraging you to kind of um, uh, like base a business with them and structure your lifestyle um, in line with like a, a kind of official position, a visa that you can get that allows you to do X, Y and Z. Um, and Germany has great ways for freelancers to kind of base there temporarily and then convert that connection to the place into residency. So I think we've seen a decade of digital nomads operating in gray areas um, and countries now are really starting to kind of notice the potential and actually compete to, to attract talented people. Because digital nomads do knowledge work and creative work, um, they often fit that bill quite well. So, yeah, I think uh, we're going to see more slow travel because um, I do think that uh, the more uh, it's very difficult to imagine a world in which people are going to hop about on planes any more than they have to. And I think it's going to lead to some different thinking around long term travel. But I think the other thing that we're going to see, um, you know, COVID-19 uh, has made remote work normal for lots and lots of people. Um, I really see digital nomads as sort of an early signal for what people do with that flexibility and freedom that, that comes with remote or distributed work. Um, and they kind of reconsider how they think about work and the rest of their lives. Um, I think many people will choose to travel in some format, whether that's like six weeks in a French villa during the school holidays um, or spending like entire European winters in Southeast Asia. I think there's a huge mental shift going on um, and, and there's a huge mental shift that takes place when work and location are uncoupled. And during this crisis, we've just seen that on an unprecedented scale. So, I mean, in general, I've been writing about the future of work in one way or another for about five years. Um, I think that's given me some insight into post-lockdown life. Um, I think all of the future of work trends uh, that we like people kind of in this space have been talking about um, over the past few years have really been accelerated like a decade uh, in just a couple of months uh, during the pandemic. Uh, and that's really exciting for someone like me because it means that we can kind of uh, take a lot as given now so like remote and flexible work I think is, is just much more accepted now just from this experience digital tools are much more of a of a default of how to get something done um, and there's recognition that building work culture is is more challenging uh, outside of uh, a physical office environment so you kind of have 
a lot has kind of happened and been established over the past few weeks. But what really excites me about that is that our conversations can now move on. So we all these things that I've been talking about for quite a few years now, the world has started talking about. Um, and I think like there are going to be some really interesting conversations that come next. So uh, to give you, uh, I suppose, a taste of how I see it, um, I think we're going to see many more conversations around like work-life balance shift to something more like work-life integration. So the idea of not trying to balance two aspects of your life, but in fact, having them be integrated and just kind of part of the way that you live your life and you exist. I think we'll see more cities, not only companies, competing for knowledge workers um, to, to kind of base there and move there. There are already some very interesting examples in the US of states that are paying people to relocate to them uh, for a couple of years to, to try and like uh, have more talent available in their local ecosystem. I think we'll see fundamental shifts in how people think about career success, uh, like what it looks like to kind of climb the career ladder and what's possible. Um, so I think fundamentally, like the, the interesting questions after after this whole experience um, are going to be like, what have people learned about themselves um, over the past few months? And, you know, how have their perceptions and priorities shifted? Um, I think so much of it really does come down to like the individual uh, and and how how we're all feeling, having had a bit more time for reflection and consideration than we have in a long time. So I guess my story kind of started um, being a bored teenager in the countryside. So I spent a lot of my time online um, and I started blogging about music uh, in exchange for free CDs and gig tickets uh, because my parents wouldn't wouldn't buy me those things. Uh, so I had to sort of figure out another way, which is, uh, I guess, my first taste of the beauty of the Internet, really. Um, but that kind of went from from perks to getting paid to work with bands and musicians. Um, and I started booking live music tours in the UK and Europe um, and going along for the ride. Uh, which was definitely an interesting kind of way to spend um, my would have been like age 17 to 19 kind of period. There was a, a summer actually where I averaged one music festival every weekend for three months. Uh, and I feel so exhausted just even thinking about that period of time now. So after that, uh, I went off to study politics at university um, and I kind of kept hold of my music industry side hustle. But I also started uh, writing for the campus newspaper and later became its features editor. And I began to grow more curious about the, the actual craft of writing, I guess, having had this entry point uh, through the music industry of being around creative people uh, and understanding more about what it was to live a creative life ultimately kind of led me to, to want to do that for myself in some way. During my degree, I also lived in China um, as part of like a, a British Council study program. Um, and I leveraged that opportunity to pitch some ideas and get my first stories published in travel magazines. And then by the end of uni, I'd developed strong connections with The Guardian um, and my sort of travel writing was going quite well. I got like runner up for Young Travel Writer of the Year at the Travel Media Awards in 2016. Um, I guess like 
what had sort of started out as free gig tickets was now becoming like uh, sort of all expenses paid reporting trips. So to me, feeling very much like uh, like living the dream at, at quite a young age. And then I decided to do a master's. Uh, so I did a master's in creative writing at uh, the University of East Anglia and did a sort of narrative nonfiction. Um, and then I did a lot of like journalistic reporting during uh, during the university breaks. And somewhere at that point, I realized that I wanted to be a foreign correspondent more than I wanted to be a travel writer. So I sort of started to pivot away from doing these kind of travel stories into doing um, stories about kind of startup scenes around the world um, and innovative ideas uh, and how, you know, the kind of problems and solutions in developing countries. So yeah, I uh, I ended up publishing stories at that point with like Vice, BBC, um, Wired, Washington Post, and a whole bunch of other dream titles. Um, and I mean, that was, again, a wild ride from kind of music tours to, to globetrotting um, and really kind of like, I suppose, getting a really global understanding of, uh, of what was happening in the world and what came next. So like after after graduating from my MA, I was then like headhunted by Google um, and I joined their global editorial team. And there I worked first as a writer on Google Maps and later as managing editor for the future of work. Um, uh, and I think most important to me from that period was that I recruited and managed um teams of creative freelancers and together we'd be producing everything from like blog posts and reports through to video and design uh, I really enjoyed like that process of experimenting with the future of work in practice rather than just uh, sort of theorizing about it um, so I guess that's what kind of set me on a new and kind of more independent path um, so these days I still do a lot of work as a freelance journalist and I publish a weekly newsletter called Counterflows on Substack um, and I'm also working on my first book at the moment um, but I guess the latest transition for me has been going from that kind of corporate writing and getting a bit more back to my roots as a, a teenager who wants to kind of make stuff and have experiences. We're, we're in this weird zone where social media has taken a, a really different route. Um, so now um, I really feel like if you're posting on Twitter or you're posting on LinkedIn or you're posting on Instagram, you really have to create content for that platform. It's having like the, the feeling and the instinct and the, the energy for it uh, that I think makes it really work. Um, I think in the 2010s, we had a lot of... Um, people and brands really megaphoning on social media. So, you know, me, 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 here's what I'm doing, here's what we're doing, here's what we want you to do. And I think we're seeing a, a huge shift now. You know, people and companies can't get away with copying and pasting the same material across every platform that they're on. Um, we're having to really, like, make new kinds of content for these different platforms. Um, I think uh, it, it used to be that somebody had to be on every platform. And now uh, I'm seeing people, like, build careers purely on Twitter, you know, taking Twitter and then having a personal website and kind of making those two things work together. So I think so much of it is about how you integrate the different opportunities and tools that are there for you, but in a way that is really like authentic, 
that doesn't keep you up at night or, or wouldn't kind of make you feel upset if um, somebody from your, your very close kind of like uh, personal life saw something that you were expressing on a professional platform um, and I guess vice versa. But I think it really is about, um, you know, it's not so much a question of how, I, I think it's very easy to be an authentic person on the internet. What's not easy is actually figuring out how to live an authentic life and be an authentic person. So certainly in my own career, that's the problem that I've taken on. Like that's the challenge that I'm trying to overcome. It's not really about like creating a, an authentic self for online platforms, but more trying to ensure that I am being authentic in, in the life that I'm living. And then the sharing on the internet part, I think is just kind of a natural, um, a natural extension of that. Um, but it's really hard, I think. I think there's uh, enormous like personal growth um, and kind of self-reflection that's needed that really like society and education and work doesn't prepare us for. It's uh, fundamentally kind of trying to understand who you are, what you're about, what drives you. And um, for a writer, I think it's about looking at the why behind your writing. Um, I know certainly at the beginning of my career, um, or when I was at university, I had like one professional goal, uh, and that was to write for The Guardian. I managed to accomplish that by the age of 20, and I'm still writing for them now. But actually, that's a, a very like surface level way of looking at journalism and media. I really wanted to be associated with that publication that I loved and, and really admired. Whereas I think now, we're we're in a we're in a state where we really have to think beyond that. We have to think about why are we writing? Uh, what actually drives us to do that and not something else? And therefore, like, how can we do that using these digital tools, the technology that we have available to us? I think one of the most interesting things that's happening in the media industry right now is a bunch of high-profile journalists leaving traditional media brands and choosing instead to go independent. Um, publishing mainly on Substack has been the big kind of um, disruptor there. And I think it's a lot easier to engage and sort of judge a human face than it is necessarily a brand. You know, brands are kind of there, media brands are there to, to kind of stand for something, but also kind of obscure other things. Um, it's like a an ongoing and evolving lens on the world that you kind of buy into by working for those organizations. But I think over like the next 10 years, we're going to see far more of an emphasis on individual writers um, and individual thought leaders, um, people who are influential and expert in a particular domain. I really see that as the kind of direction that a lot of this influencer, early influencer culture and kind of experiment stuff uh, is going. Um, I think during COVID-19, we've seen some really kind of interesting developments um, around kind of disinformation and, and credibility and authority. I think doctors and scientists have really kind of stood up on social media and tried to hold governments to account and tried to make sure that they're spreading good information. Uh, sometimes that's even been in the face of like disastrous kind of political leadership. Um, and I think online you can, you can you can verify the credentials and backgrounds um, of somebody who's on Twitter, um, on, on like a third party website to understand what their credentials are, uh, to understand uh, in, in terms of like their, their knowledge or expertise. I think that that really shows that like people earn earn our trust by by using their platform or their status responsibly. Um, I mean, obviously, COVID and doctors is, is a very extreme example, but I think we're kind of seeing this across the board. We're seeing people 
um, kind of stand up um, and stand for something in a way that we might have expected media brands to do um, sort of 30 years ago. Writers have, have always been influencers. Um, and I guess the difference now is that this sort of notoriety happens in real time and on a global scale on the internet. It's really a good example of how the internet kind of amplifies what was already happening in the world offline um, and kind of gives it new life. I don't think influence in itself is is a problem and perhaps it's even part of the, the purpose of writing in the first place. It takes a huge investment in kind of personal growth and self-reflection to understand what you're really trying to do with writing and what you would be trying to do with influence. Um, I think we, we all have like a responsibility to try and navigate our lives and careers in like a responsible way. Um, and I think to, to try and, uh, I suppose, like push conversations forward. Um, and obviously you see some influencers online that don't really go go beyond the uh, look at me, look at my dog kind of, uh, kind of level of engagement. Um, but I think what I find really interesting are the people who are really um, sort of championing ideas or really trying to kind of like unearth solutions or share new information with the world. And I think if you can harness your influence as a writer to, to focus on that, kind of the why behind the writing rather than the writing itself, that's when you can kind of move from quite a self-indulgent approach, I suppose. I certainly, when I was studying creative writing, um, I wrote a lot that was self-indulgent, that was just kind of my own, my own thoughts, my own experiences. And while I think that has value if you're like a master crafts person, I think for me, uh, it didn't really hit the spot because I really wanted to be championing those ideas and kind of, uh, I suppose, getting challenged around my thinking. Um, and I think if you're taking that approach of trying to really understand more and learn from what you're doing and really try and bring together all the kind of uh, information and contacts and interests that you have into into one consistent thing. Um, that, that kind of influence, I think, can be a really interesting force for good. And yeah, I think uh, my three tips for becoming a good digital storyteller, kind of based on all of these weird and wonderful experiences that I've had in my uh, my career so far. Like number one is definitely be authentic. Like I think I said it before, but it's actually really easy to be authentic on the internet. What's not so easy is figuring out how to, to live an authentic life, to, to kind of be an authentic person. I think that's a, a really key mission uh, for, for all of us to kind of take on. So that would be my number one. I think storytelling starts with kind of being authentic and knowing what you might tell stories about. Um, the second is uh, to avoid megaphoning. So I think it's really, really important to, to think about how you can add value to conversations or, or on particular platforms um, uh, and make sure that you are uh, actually kind of building community and, and contributing to conversations rather than getting stuck in that trap of the 2010s um, of posting me, me, me content. You know, actually tell people a story. Don't just promote what you're doing. Um, and my final my final tip, but probably my favorite tip um, is asynchronous communication. So I think this is really important in terms of uh, telling your own story and I suppose being consistent uh, not so much in public communications, but more in 
communications when somebody's asking you to do something and, and you're kind of uh, uh, interacting with them maybe in your email inbox. I think like the past decade of technology has really encouraged us, all of us, to respond to things instantly. But I think the next decade of technology is going to be about responding when you have the right answer and when you're in the right headspace. So actually taking this non-instant, this asynchronous approach to communication, I think is really, really key in terms of uh, being a good digital storyteller. So thanks to Lauren for joining me on the podcast. As I mentioned at the start of the episode, we've hit 10,000 downloads and I'm going to be running a masterclass on using personal essays to break into new publications and niches because I've done that a lot in my career so if you're interested in uh, buying a ticket for that 4th of august masterclass uh, i'll put the link to eventbrite in uh, in the show notes and you can check out the tickets and apart from that i mean it's amazing to get to 10,000 downloads and uh, i quite want to see how quickly we can get to 20,000 now so please do help me grow the audience of this podcast if you enjoy it do rate review subscribe howl at the moon yell at the sun and uh, attach it to a pigeon and send it to someone who has never heard of it before that will all help me get this podcast out to a bigger audience and enable me to keep making it so uh, thanks for listening until next time bye